Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Well, okay. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Well, okay. Once again, not joining us, maybe because he's too cowardly and doesn't think he could build on Jed's well, okay enthusiasm. Mm. Maybe because we double booked him once again. It's hard to tell. Regular co-host Lee Younger, who will be with us next week we got some great questions we got a really interesting interview with uh some folks who work on the project the porter's gate you can hear from them it's a very interesting thing they have going but first i'm forced to declare an emergency Ooh. oh an emergency i think we were all hoping that 2020 was going to be a year free of emergencies we could just get into the show and yeah. get everyone on their way but that's yeah. not the case because i've been alerted to something in this case, alerted by my wife, and those of you who are uh, been listening for the last couple weeks will know I am not only married, but double married. Yes. That's right. In the year 2019. She is both your first wife and your second wife. That's right. It's very, very economical that way. Well, <laughs> okay. So uh, I was sent a link with no explanation, and the link reads as thus. I am Jesus Christ video game. Oh, With a link to no. a YouTube trailer. Of a first-person simulator. What? No. I read from no less a source than IGN.com. <laughs> really? Yes. I Am Jesus Christ is a realistic simulator game inspired by stories from the New Testament of the Bible. You follow the path of Jesus Christ from 2,000 years ago. The game covers the period from the baptizing of Jesus to the resurrection. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be him? One of the most privileged and powerful people in the world. You check if you can perform all the famous miracles from the Bible like Jesus did. This is a simulation game. You try to save the world as he did. Are you ready to fight Satan in the desert, exercising demons and curing sick people, or calm the storm in the sea? Okay. So this is uh, set to be released on Steam and maybe on other things. I, I did some background reading, and here's the thing that I love. So far on the internet, apparently no one can come to consensus on whether or not this is a troll job or not. Yeah. Like the game exists and okay. you can play it. But literally we've reached the point of Christians and parody. No one can tell if this is Christians making this, if this is just like a, a company from another country, a Chinese or Indian yeah. company may not have the cultural touchdowns making something they think Christians will buy. Sure. Or someone totally taking the piss. Yeah. Just, All three are just, just indistinguishable. Mocking it openly. Yeah. yeah. Just utterly indistinguishable. And of course, there's, ooh, that's, I mean, we like to dance a line of blasphemy here on this show, but woohoo, you're, that's, you are uh, Jesus. Yeah. First person doing this. So, but I like the idea. We, we often in this show are looking for the cash in. Absolutely. For sure. And video games make bank. Yeah. That's right. Like a five star video game makes what a Hollywood blockbuster does. Yeah. And they can crank out a bunch of them. Um, so I'm thinking, and we know from, Really, uh, a substandard films. There's a segment to be marketed to with the Christians. Right, they'll buy a lesser version of a thing just because it's Christian. So, right. can we come up with some less blasphemous video game options for Christian video games? Okay, okay. I, I would love to see a video game, and I'd love to know what it might be that would. Uh, and I'm going to use a term from the Greek. Okay, on this. To get Christians, like the game is, yeah. how do you get Christians to be less bajiggity? Okay. Okay. You know, just, you got that guy, he's just being bajiggity right yeah. now. You yeah. know what I mean? And the video game is- I really is, hope that's not swear in some language I'm not aware of. <laughs> the thing is, figure out, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do you, for example, jab him with something pointy in the sure. video game? Sure, right, right, that right. That might- Make him more bajiggity. Right, right. It's you know what know. I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. he's got issues that's driving that. If you, like, shoot lightning from your fingertips at him. Hey, does, that's something. Does that make him, does sure. that, like, jar something loose in his head? And sure. he'd say, oh, excuse me, I, I can see now he's being bajiggity. It's yeah. a form of puzzle game. Yeah, that's right. You know, you got to try different things to see exactly right, see what happens. Okay, I dig it, I dig it. I have a concept. Oh. Now, we're going to need a bit of, of Sunday school nerddom on okay. this. But, you know, you got to understand your market. Yeah, right? absolutely. So the disciples, 
James and John uh, are brothers, sons of right. a guy named Zebedee. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And Jesus actually gave them a nickname, yeah. which is Boanerges, yeah. which means the sons of thunder, because right. yep. they were pretty regularly doing and saying stupid stuff. Right. The key thing is they're brothers and they're followers of Jesus. Their nickname, Boanerges. Therefore, I present to you Super Boanerges Brothers. Oh, I uh-huh. see what you're saying. Yeah. They're yeah. still trying to deal with the giant ape. Exactly right. Exactly There's right. Barrels involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's not like other video games you might have been playing. It's very dissimilar. Similar. It's just they're they're it's Greek. They're yes. not Italians, they're Greek. Yes, exactly know. right. So it's like you go at it that way. Yeah, exactly. It is essentially the game that you already like, just a much less good version of it. Yeah, it's uh-huh. a, it's skin kind of situation. Exactly, exactly. They 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 they're going. It's it's Greek words. It's all a Greek, very Greek branded thing. Yes. So you can't uh, like sue us. That's right. That's right. So the you know the, I think we're we're getting we're circling around it. I think we're yeah. getting it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, of course, I think video games are of the devil. Well, certainly, you a tool of perdition. Uh, that's, I was told that by people who, uh, in the 80s, who saw others enjoying something and said, well, <laughs> I don't think so. That's got to stop immediately. Pac-Man, this must be the nadir of cultural decay <laughs> and moral rot. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. but uh, Double Dragon. Yeah, that's that sounds satanic The moral right universe will never recover. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because here's my next idea. Grand Theft Bible. Oh, I like okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Pitch me. Yeah, okay. Well, I think there's a couple different ways that, that we could go with this. The, the first is there are um, uh, agents uh, in, in a culture war who are going around stealing Bibles. Oh, I like right? it. That's like the main thing. Got to thwart them. That's what happens in a culture war. Exactly right. So you got you to stop them, right? I think, I think that that's, you know, that's the thing. The other option we could do, and we could combine these, but, you know, it's, it's the open world gaming, sure. right? But in the open world gaming where you can only do good things. Interesting. Right? Like, you can't, you can't get in a car and hit people, but you can get in a car and give people a ride to church. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, which church is up to you, but if you choose oh. the wrong church, you lose points. I like that. <laughs> so there's, a very, so there's a puzzle element to that as exactly well. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, as long as we're doing what I think uh, a Christian gaming industry would certainly do, which is uh, pick, try to pick things that were popular 15 years ago. Yeah. Kind of write those out. So uh, we all remember the uh, the rock, the guitar hero, kind of yeah. rock band, yeah, yeah. whole situation. So I'm thinking of uh, Jericho Hero. Yes. And here's the thing where we're to make them on that is with the peripherals, because you got your plastic shofar. Right. And you have to blow, you have to play the plastic yeah. shofar well enough. That's right. And you watch, you know, the, the video screen is like the walls kind of starting to crumble. Yeah. And eventually they, they come a tumbling down. Yeah. 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 No, just, you know, like, here's an idea. You can play a regular video game. Yeah. And just be cool. Right, right. And like, you go to church, I, read your Bible. Glenn's lost the view of the profit motive here. You yeah. could play a regular video game, invite a buddy over, just yeah. hang out, yeah. have a good time together. Yeah. You know, maybe he's going through the struggles of his life. You're going, no, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you, bro. I got your yeah. back and whatnot. You know, I mean, that would be cool. That would like actually help somebody in yeah. ministry. Yeah. Or Grand Theft Bible. You guys taking a blow in the head and forgot what we do on the show? We're trying to exploit <laughs> this for profit. Yeah. Call of Duty Culture War. This, yeah. This seems like a lot of good ways to do these things that don't line some schmuck's pockets. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's It seems like the long way around whenever we're trying to make some weirdo rich off of it. Next up, Immortal Combat. Okay. Oh. Yeah. And again, as as we touched on last episode, all of kind of the apocalyptic beasts, but they no, fight each like other that. Mortal Kombat style. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or see, you beat the guy into life. Oh, that's very see, good. See what I did there? Yes. Yeah, so like when you finish the match, and then there's that voice, and it goes, "Convert him." That's what it yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's, that's yeah. very good. I like that a lot. I think flawless it's... exegesis. Nice. <laughs> I think we're all. Figuring something that would fit in that that spot, and Jed got there first, as he often does. Well, you know, I like that. I like these these things a lot. I think there's something to be said for. Like, I'm going way back here when I was a kid, but there's a like the PC games or like uh, well, like a ty- tycoon kind sure, of sim yeah. style yeah, things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We well, do that, but you got to invest your talents. Sure. You got to build up like a little town with them. Uh, right. Resource management. Yeah, and then at the end they kind of come in. You do. 
you could do kind of the or Oregon Trail, but it's the f- the flight from Egypt. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Take a thing that was popular. Can they still get dysentery? Absolutely. Well, yes, of course. And, and interesting. How? <laughs> and you can still kill thirteen tons of bison. So I mean, oh, that's okay. that's it's a real very feature confusing. too. Yeah. I can't believe I missed this. I, I okay because I'm actually a fan of the series we're about to rip off. Hello, I'm playing the latest one literally right now. But dude, Apostles Creed. No, that's very instead nice. of Assassin. Exactly Creed. right. You got to sneak around and kill Pelagius. I <laughs> do. <laughs> Uh, okay. You sneak into the Council of Nicaea and take out half of them. <laughs> yeah. This is a list of historical heresies for you to find and murder. Right. Okay. I I think every Presbyterian who's in seminary would play the heck out of that video game. Yeah. Apostles' Creed sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Well, there's also, and then we got to take it up a notch um, to have kind of a Street Fighter version, but it is the founders and heads of various denominations. Oh, oh my gosh. You got your Luther versus your Calvin versus your John Wesley versus yeah. Martin Luther, popes. John Knox, fight! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they're just throwing Bibles at each other. That's everybody's special move. Yeah, same move, yeah. It's a Dukin, but it's a, it's a commentary. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. See, that's going to sell. I got to ask, though, can we, and I feel like we could get some artist friends where we take, you know, historical renderings of them, like a Martin Luther, but we find a way where the character in the game is just totally ripped. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like a marriage of Johnny Cage plus Martin Luther. Well, he's got you know? like the old out, you know, you know the old outfits. Sure. The, sure. Yeah. The, monk, the monk of, thing. Yeah, from the period. Right. But just no right sleeves. Right before the fight, right. yeah, he just shreds it. Yeah. He's, he's just, just jacked. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> St. Right. Augustine looks like the ultimate warrior. <laughs> so vascular. Right. He still says, Welcome to the gun show. And they're like, I don't know, what is that even? That's a, a historical anachronism, but that's the thing that's the least wrong with it. I don't know what it means, but some of these I would play if they okay. existed. Oh, yeah. Some of these, yeah. I mean, you take the youth group, you put the, the giant um denomination fighter arcade cabinet in the youth group room yeah you're getting some business done right there yeah yeah on that i think i can declare our first business opportunity of 2020 on an emergency off well done indeed now of course as as glenn mentioned we have so many uh, groundbreaking money-making paradigm shifting ideas on this here show but uh what we don't really have at this point is the r&d budget We, uh, what we call our R&D thing is pretty much just one desk that we, we make Jed draw things on blueprints on. And, yeah. you know, we just don't have the money to get that off the ground. Now, of course, our Bridgebox uh, proceeds currently go to funding our Deacons program as part-time employees, men who are, men and women, I should say, who are products of the ministry, who help us out. They do things, they help with jobs, they help with housing, they uh, write letters to men and women who are still behind bars and help us keep it that going we've just added a new deacon in the last year jeff is doing an amazing job and hopefully you'll be hearing more about him as the year goes on so uh because of you because of people who subscribe to bridgebox the deacons program has been 100 percent funded the entire time it's existed which is a truly amazing thing in the world of ministry but if we can get some people on board Ooh. and we got the deacons taken care of and then we got a little extra money left over to get some developers who can really get that bicep striation yeah. that John Knox has going. And I think yeah. there's some things here, you know, it started out as a cheap cash grab, but now we've got an artistic vision. Yeah. yeah. I think it's something we really want to see out put on the world. So you can help that be birthed in by going to missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Signing up. We're still in the month of January. We're looking at how do you handle success? We've got Bible studies, we've got sermons, we got songs, lots of good stuff for you on that. Only eight dollars a month. Missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we're jumping to our first question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, how do you go about setting spiritual goals? Do you guys ever do that thing where you have a word or intention for the year? If so, would you share it? If not, do you think that's a thing that can be useful? And Glenn, I think a really good question for the beginning of the year. A lot of folks yeah. may kind of be looking to that kind of thing. So how do we go about, if it is a good idea to set a goal, which maybe that's where we want to start, how do we go about doing that? Well, I am super not this person. Uh, there, there are, there are journal people and people have, uh, intentions and words for the year and all of those kind of things. Uh, they are amazing people do amazing things. If you're one of them rock on, I will attempt to help you. 
uh, from my position of a uh, guy who doesn't You're more quite, of an accidentalist. Yeah, I, I, I don't, uh, it's not my style. Glenn lives in accidental community. There's just always people yeah. in his house. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing. If, if you want me to give you a, uh, a, a word or intention or a phrase for the year, uh, I think uh, Let It Go would be pretty darn good. Uh, there's a catchy song to it that's very heavily copyright protected. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you there's a, a lot of uh, anger in the world right now, a lot of uh, conflict. Uh, there's also a lot of fear in the world, a lot of uh, shame and guilt that you may be experiencing. Letting those things go would be fantastic. You would be better off. You would find yourself moving forward and closer to the Lord uh, just off of the fact that those things are slowing down that process of getting closer to the Lord. So get those things out of the way and let those things go, and you'll you'll find yourself doing much better. Uh, but I think ultimately when I set my goals, if we want to look at goals as opposed to sort of a, a concept or a theme that you might want to use for the year, but if you look at goals— um, if I set my own goals, I'd be I'd be chasing my tail. I I wouldn't get very far. And what I mean by that is, if I set my own goals, I'm going to set those according to the things that bug me the most, and then I will then end up uh, failing because I don't want to, you know I don't want to fix those things. That's why they're not fixed. And then I will feel terrible, and then I will try and fix them again, and that would just go round and round. Uh, what God wants from me and in, in my life is to look at the deep, deep roots that drive these things that drive me crazy, and uh, that, that what are the things that where are the origins of these things, and more importantly, where the the things that hold me back. Where where does the origins of that? Where does that come from? And sometimes that involves quite a little bit of digging, and quite requires a certain amount of examination. And I need to be in prayer about that. I need to listen to the Lord about that. Um, I, so, so the digging deep element is is really essential. I mean, the, I think there's a sense of a lot of hard work and sincere effort and journaling and having a word and a thing and a theme and a whatever. It's a lot of energy there, but it's all on the surface. If I dig deep and, you know, if, if this is a relationship I have that's dysfunctional, it could be a, a, a friend or a parent or whatever it is, if I look at that and say, okay, but why am I angry? What's going on there? Maybe I say, well, okay, that's, I feel like I don't have control. I don't feel like I can be uh, honest like we talked about in the last episode. Uh, well, why don't I feel like I can be honest? Uh, that might be I want to portray myself a certain way. Well, then that has something to do with my image and the way I see myself. So you can see how this problem really looks very different on each of these layers that we're peeling away. I'm going to get that all the way down to the bottom. Uh, once I get down to that, you know, real root of where this problem is coming from, I'm going to figure out it the 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 thing I need to do about it will present itself if you see what I'm saying. I will understand an entire dynamic, an entire chain of events that drives why I do what I do. And so change, changing that thing that's at the root of that ends up impacting everything to the positive that connects to that chain. Uh, so that if I listen to the Lord, I can change a lot of things by sort of a domino effect, if I change this one thing that sets it all in motion, that's really powerful. That's the that's the good stuff. That's what we want for you. Finally, I think the thing for me is the thing that God most often uh, wants to change in me is something that has to do with uh, uh, some. It's always something that's holding me back from what He wants my life to be about and what He wants me to do. Uh, if I want to go about serving the Lord, I am going to run into a hundred things about me that are going to hold me back. I need to strip those things away. So let's say I have a fear of public speaking. Well, if I'm going to if I'm going to be a witness to the world, eventually somebody might ask me to preach. I have to deal with that fear and find out what is what is at the root of that. Why why do I feel that way? Dig down and, and discover what's going on there. Uh, the the truth is, I think 
uh, we talk about this at the bridge quite a little bit, but I think the devil keeps trying to put us in a smaller and smaller box. And uh, we were talking in the last episode about uh, our uh, agnostics uh, struggling with uh, having beliefs in, in spiritual things. Uh, but that, uh, that, tra- that trauma from our past puts us in a small, small world. Breaking out of that is the key and reclaiming that, that kind of territory. So I think looking at those things that hold you back are really, really key. That's a really excellent place to start that off. And Jed, um, where do we go with this? We want to lean into this idea of setting an intention or finding something. We want a, a theme or something here. What, what have you? Is that the kind of thing you've done? And if so, what can we pick up from that? I think it's a cool idea. And I think I want to pick up on all the stuff Glenn was saying in terms of I think you should invite God to help you find what that word and intention should be. Um, I think that should be a collaborative thing because if it's, you know, we all have stuff that sounds neat to us that can very easily become just chasing our own tail. Absolutely. But I think we, just like Glenn is saying, if we invite God into that process and we really make this something where we're digging deep and there's listening to the Lord, I think we can wind up with a focus and an intention that is one of the key things that's holding us back, one of the key things that's that's causing us problems and, and that's messing with us. And I, I, I think one of the things that's an interesting marriage of the stuff that Glenn is saying and the idea of I'm, I, I want a word for the year, I want an intention for the year, is so many of the things that hold us back are multifaceted, and they have tendrils in all kinds of areas of our lives. You know, and they... they um, it's like it's like the way cobwebs cling to things, if, if you can think of it that way. You know, so uh, Glenn was bringing up the idea of you know healthier relationships. The if you were to dig into you know why do you, why are your relationships the way that they are? Obviously, a big part of it is because these people are, are not well. But why? Why are you in these relationships in the way that you are, right? One of the answers might turn out to be because you think that you deserve this. You you think that this is about what the way you should be treated. Well, that's a, a very deep thing, but if we start looking and meditating on what you think you deserve, you will probably see that concept playing itself out in like every area of your life. We might start to recognize it looking at interpersonal relationships, but we're likely to see it everywhere. We're likely to see it in your employment. We're likely to see it in your hobbies. We're likely to see it in your family relationships and your friend relationships and the people that you hang out with at church and everywhere. People construct a life to reinforce what they think they deserve. Everybody does that. So if we're if we start to go down that road, we we may we may actually see and learn a lot. But again, we want to invite God into that process. One of the things that along these lines, I don't know if I would exactly call it a, a, a word for the year or an intention for the year, but along those lines that, that I've looked at personally in the past is uh, letting go of cynicism. And it, that actually kind of goes along with what Glenn's talking about in terms of, of a, a smaller world. The, the funny thing about worldviews, right, is they, they are a lens through which we view all phenomenon. And Part of being human is recognizing that there's more going on around you than you can make sense of. There's there's just more stimulation. There's more phenomenon than you can process and sort. So we kind of we we need um, we we need tools to help us make sense of the world that we're in. And for a lot of people, cynicism is a really attractive one because we can say, "I see all the angles, man," and it seems true a lot, and it feels true. Yeah, and I feel like I'm smart. And gritty mm. and edgy because yeah. of how cynical I am, <laughs> how gritty I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> I get it. I see what's really going on. <laughs> the hilarious thing about it is, no, you don't. In general, cynical people are the least observant people I know. Um, I, I think that that we are afraid of having hope about something, having optimism about something, and having it turn out to be not warranted. And will I'll feel like a fool on the other side of that, which how is that the worst fate that could possibly befall you? You you were willing to give things more credit than they were due, and that's the worst thing a human being can do. It's definitely way worse than just being a cynical weirdo about everything who's never disappointed. But but the, again, the funny thing is it limits all your options. 
it limits what you're capable of. It limits what you believe other people are capable of. It, it limits what you believe situations are capable of. This is actually going to go to our, our third question on this episode. But people have a weird way of rising to the expectations that we put on them. Um, this is actually one of the things that we deal with in our ministry here in Chicago all the time is one of the cornerstones is we believe that you are capable of more than you believe that you're capable of. We we believe that there is a, not just a better life in terms of God giving you a blessing, although certainly that, but we believe that you are capable of living into a much better and more amazing life than you think you are capable of living into. That's why we're here. That's that's why we're doing this. Well, a cynical person can't have that viewpoint. A, a cynical person thinks, nah, nah you're, nah. You, you'll never be more than you are. Well, in that case, I can't possibly embrace cynicism and do the work God's calling me to do. You know, these, I, I can't have both. And again, it's it, you see those tendrils everywhere you go. So all that to say, yeah, I think that it can be a really cool exercise and can be a good thing. We want to invite God into that process so that it isn't just us chasing our tails. But if we're willing to take that deep dive, I think God will meet you in the midst of that. And I think that you'll, um, I think you'll have quite an adventure this year. That's absolutely right. I, I would echo what both these guys are saying. And I would add on one one little uh, tip here, because uh, I was asked this question actually by my wife by the end, the end of the year of she was listening to somebody who had written something about this, said, do you ever do that? You're pretty worth the year. And I, of course, was ready to launch into a thing about how no, and that's goofy, and I'm very smart and very urbane. I'm going to do such a thing. And I realized that it's not that I picked it, but kind of in the way that uh, Jed is describing about the cynicism and kind of as uh, Glenn was talking about, you know, little religious stuff, I would say that uh, the a word that popped up a lot in my conversations with the Lord in 2019 was gentleness. Mm, that was yeah. a, that was at work. That was in my ministry. That was people in my personal life. That was a family. You need to be gentle. Yeah. You need to be more gentle. You need to focus on being gentle. So uh, if you're there's looking, a, there's a real lack of that in the world these days. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And so if you're looking for an idea of what what's the kind of thing the Lord might be leading me into doing that might be a good focus for year, uh, I would push you towards Galatians 5:22 and the fruits of the spirit. And it says, "Fruit of the spirit is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law." You could, I can't think of a way that picking one of those things and or asking, ideally asking the Lord. Which one of those things you need to grow in, you want to focus on? I, I can't imagine a better way to have a starting point for a conversation of what you want 2020 to be than looking at growing in those things and maybe one particularly. All right, we're going to take you to our Say That interview. This is with uh, husband and wife Isaac and Megan Wardell, and they're part of this really cool thing that they run called the Porter's Gate. So the end result is songs and kind of creative projects. But the way they get there is really cool. You're going to hear us talk about this. They get, uh, musicians and writers and poets and scholars and social workers and all these people together to talk about this topic, 20 or so of them in room and just kind of figure out what they want to say about this. What's the right thing to say about this? What's the smart thing to say about this? What people need to hear about this? Then they try to create this stuff. So the newest project is a, something they call neighbors, which is about uh, immigrants. It's about the people we ha- have in our lives. Uh, we're going to talk about, but if you check out Porter's Gate, you, especially on this project, you will recognize some former Say That podcast guests and some very cool people involved in that. So we want to share more about that. We'll take that interview right now. So I'm here with Isaac and Megan Wardell of the Porter's Gate, which was described to me as an ecumenical arts collective which is a wonderful thing, but I'm hoping you guys can break that down for me. Yeah, Megan and I are collaborators ourselves. I'm sort of the musician. I've been leading worship in the context of a church for many years. And I am a nurse by trade, um, but I am home with our four children at the moment, as well as working with our special needs ministry at our church, our accessibility ministry, um, and doing the Porter's Gate. So. Yeah, and the, the genesis of the project um, really has to do with collaboration. I have, you know, for 20 years, as I've been leading worship in a local church every Sunday, I have many times sat down alone or in my office to write new worship songs. And over the course of the last couple of years, you know, because of having such a rich kind of appreciation of the beauty of the church and the importance of the church, have begun, uh, Meg and I have begun thinking about how can we 
write songs that are not just the songs that sort of occur to us that feel easy to write, but actually to write songs that the church needs to try to fill gaps in the church's repertoire of songs. And so that's what led to us starting this thing called the Porter's Gate Worship Project. And what we do is we invite together a group of about 50 people, pastors, scholars, theologians, songwriters, musicians, and we get around tables. And over the course of a couple of days, we collaborate around those tables um, to write original worship songs. And sometimes around those tables, we have people who are from the Southern Baptist Church, the Episcopal Church, Roman Catholic Church. There's black, there's white, there's Asian and Latino. There are all kinds of people collaborating on these new worship songs. And, uh, and at the end of that whole project, uh, we have these, uh, these new albums. And the new one that we just released is called Neighbor Songs. Yeah, and it's it's a really fantastic collection of artists. Um, I was Thank looking at the you. list and watching the video, and I noticed some former podcast guests on there, uh, Zach Bolin, and I th- think I spied Sandra McCracken in the, uh, yeah. the YouTube video. So certainly amazing people to get together, not only because I haven't talked to some of those folks, not only amazing musicians, but people who really have a heart and a mind to want to try these things. And and you mentioned not taking the easy route, and uh, Neighbors is certainly not taking the easy route. So what was the experience of sitting down to write, get a bunch of people to talk about things like who is my neighbor and how to react to refugees? What's that, what's that process like when you're on those hot-button issues? Yeah, I mean, I'll give a little bit of background to it, and then Megan maybe can share a story. Uh, it should be said... Uh, this has been a journey for us. You know, we are in no way experts at it. Um, we have been learning over the last couple of years, and we really are still learning about how to be hospitable and to host those kind of conversations. Um, years ago, uh, I worked with a couple of other worship leaders here in Charlottesville to start this little worship leader support group where we would get together uh, worship leaders in different denominations. And once a month, we'd have bagels and kind of talk about our struggles and our challenges. And I remember at one of those early meetings, someone made the comment, let's get together and just talk about what we have in common and, uh, and not focus on our differences. And that's kind of one approach to how to gather people together across lines of difference, right? It's to say, well, let's mm-hmm. find the things we have in common, and then we'll avoid talking about the things that uh, are different between us. It's like some of our Thanksgiving dinner strategy for dealing with relatives. Um, but there's this much sort of richer and uh, and deeper opportunity that I think we have, that if we can come to one another in humility, if we can come to one another as learners, I think it's actually possible for Christians to gather together across lines of difference and ask hard questions and say, let's talk about the places where we have differences and how I might actually learn from, how I might even need your perspective. And so that's the, the strategy that we've tried to take over the last couple of years. Sometimes that's been really easy. And sometimes it's been hard. Sometimes there have been conversations that have been hard to hear. Megan actually has a story from our our most recent gathering. Oh, please. Um, So we... uh... We had... The conversation was in three subjects. It was about welcoming people across lines of ability. And we had uh, John Swinton speak. Um, on that, who's a, a theologian in Scotland on disability. on disability. And then we had conversations about crossing lines of race. How do we, how do we uh, in worship make strides in welcoming people across racial lines? And uh, that was uh, Christina and Micah Edmondson up in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan. And they uh, spoke to us on that as well as David Bailey mm-hmm. um, from Arabon in Richmond, Virginia. And then one of our conversations, uh, and this is one that I think is a really vital conversation that I know I have not, it's a conversation that, that not enough churches have started having from my perspective. And I think the, the language we used was welcoming individuals across lines of singleness and gender. And, uh, and what we talked about was how in many churches, both contemporary churches, traditional churches, Baptist churches, Episcopal churches, in many churches, people feel like, if you have the, the perfect American nuclear family, mom and dad and a couple little kids, and everybody's life is together, then you get to be a real church member. But if you're single, if you're divorced, if you have a family that has, if you have a complicated household that you feel maybe like a second-class citizen, 
or you feel like the worship service isn't really for you. Uh, we just had an email exchange about this in my office the other day. We were talking about lighting of the Advent wreath and how for years in our Christmas services, they always put up a family to light the Advent wreath. And how does that make people feel who don't have kids? Mm. Or how does that make people feel who are divorced or people that would like to be married but are not married? Um, don't we need to have better practices where maybe we have households of single people or we have homes that are more complicated um, who are lighting the Advent wreath? And so that's the conversation that we have. We talked about households and we talked about ways that we can um, be more cognizant of those around us who are um, divorced or single or widowed. And um, we, I mean, we, we talked about it at our tables of our breakout tables about ways that we can be better friends and have friendships and be thinking about um, people and um, who may be lonely or may have lots of things to give the church that are not being tapped into. Um, yeah. And in general, that whole conversation, um, it felt pretty comfortable for a little while. We were talking about how churches need to look for ways to celebrate singleness, and people were sort of nodding their heads. And we saw that for a lot of people in the room that that conversation had some traction. Uh, but then something kind of unexpected at our gathering happened. We invited uh, Ekimini Yuan, who's a theologian in Philadelphia. She's one part of the podcast Truth Table. And she got up, and she sort of shared a testimony with us. She shared her testimony of singleness as an African-American woman mm. and how her experience of singleness is a lot different than the experience of maybe a college-educated white woman in the church. And she talked about uh, the experience of singleness as it relates to the criminal justice system and a lot of uh, African-American men being incarcerated because of years of unjust legal policies. She talked about the experience of being a single woman in a church when there are no single men around. And as she shared her experiences and as she shared her testimony, two different things uh, were happening in the room. One of the things that was happening was that we immediately noticed that all of the people around the room, especially the African-American women in the room, were not just nodding, but in many cases crying and amening and really resonating with this story that Akimini was sharing. And that for others of us in the room, we were learning something new. We were hearing a story that maybe we had not heard before or a perspective that we had not encountered before. And, uh, and one of the things that, that we have sort of learned in this journey uh, over the last couple of years of the Porter's Gate is in those moments re to resist the impulse to either try to smooth it over or move on quickly or stop the awkwardness. And instead, what we did in that moment was we paused and we said, you know, for the next 10 or 15 minutes, let's take some time to pray Let's take some time to offer up prayers of lament, to write the ways that we are feeling as we hear um, the story, and to actually uh, to actually ponder what it is to sit in this pain. Um, on the one hand, I think that that was a good stretching experience for our whole group, but I also thought that 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 experience um, really underscored the importance of having our gatherings feel like a safe enough place that people could bring their whole stories and that when they brought their stories that they wouldn't, uh, that, that they would find this gathering to be a safe place where we actually um, come to, to one another in humility as learners. And uh, from my perspective, it's those kind of interactions, sort of what we do with that pain or what we do with that tension that has actually made all the difference in the process of writing these songs. Well, it really is an amazing way that art fits into these spaces and why something like this is important. You know, we can, anyone can read a report about the disparity in incarceration rates between African-American males between ages of 16 to 30 versus really any other group. And you may even think, well, that that's immoral and someone should do something. But to then hear the story of how that affects a community, an individual, right. something, and put that to that. That's that's really amazing. And you you know you talk about not skipping over the awkward part. I'd be fascinated to hear about the conversation that came up. And um, there's a song called "Daughters of Zion" about mm -hmm. the empowerment and the the versus the kind of silencing of women and Christian stuff. And having had some conversations based around that for the podcast and in personal life, 
if you're a particularly a middle-aged white male, you're going to find out that you probably engaged in some negative behavior on this at some point. What's the right. learning like that when you, when you, someone sits in the room and realizes I may have not been doing great at this. <laughs> versus, um, or from the other side versus that abilities, you're talking about that safe space for be it someone who's nothing minority or woman to stand up and say, you yeah. may think you're not great at this. You're more not great right. at it than you think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I th- and I think we need we need more. I, I think we need more of that in the church these days. I think some people, you know, with the Me Too movements and the Church Too movements, people have been. I've seen people um, on the internet be critical of kind of bringing up these um, these hurts and wounds and ways that the church has not dealt with. Um, just care of the marginalized in general. Um, and I think it, 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 to some people it feels critical to do that. But Isaac and I, uh, we love the local church. We love the church and we are, we really, we want people to see this as um, we are of loving the church and of, part of, of being of part of the healing. Mm. And like, we, we have to name we have to name the infection before, you know, we can treat it. And I think, um, and I think it's, it's a, it's a way that we can support and encourage, uh, our churches in addressing these problems. Yeah. And the experience of those conversations in the room, I mean, I think you're hitting the nail right on the head that there are lots of people that say, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm beginning to realize that maybe as a person in power, as a man, that I might have failed this. And then the deeper you go, rather than getting uh, absolved, you start finding, oh, I'm more <laughs> guilty than I thought that I've been. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that part of the process has been um, has been a big part of these Porter's Gate conversations where, you know, what you have in the room are you have folks who are maybe the senior pastor at a church or someone who's a successful sort of worship leader and has records and a, and a contract, or maybe you have people who are the heads of companies or the heads of nonprofits. And in those cases, um, I can certainly, I can recognize this in my own heart and I have this as part of my own story. So there's no criticism here, but just sort of part of our um, recognizing the places that we failed, where as you hear these stories, these challenging stories, as you hear stories from the other side, um, that one of the things that can become really apparent is, wow, I've I've been in a room with 10 people or 20 people. I've maybe given lip service to the idea that other people have a voice, but at the end of the day, we're going to do what I'm going to do because I'm the expert and I'm the one that, whatever, I'm the preacher that everyone's coming to see, or I'm the musician that's really running the show around here. And uh, And one of the parts of this process that has been so important for Megan and me one of the hardest personal parts for us has been to continually kind of day after day, renounce mastery, renounce expertise to day after day, say, this is not about me saying, how can I make the most perfect, excellent thing in my own eyes? But it's actually about how do I make the most beautiful thing in God's eyes? And what, you know, we have this setting on the record of first Corinthians 13 and in first Corinthians 13, you have this language of love. What is the most excellent way? the most excellent way is actually the way of love that if we speak with the tongues of angels but we don't have love that that is like a an ugly sounding gong and so even in the process of making this record for us there's been moments where we've said well you know i think i like the idea creatively of going this direction but look here are some of my collaborators who have a really different story who have a different cultural background and they like the idea of going this creative direction and if the heart of this project is that collaboration then those are opportunities for us to joyfully lay down authority and say, we want to trust others with this project. Well, and as in almost every case I've ever experienced where people of faith get together and have that kind of vulnerability and that kind of shared mission, it produced something really beautiful and really amazing. And you can check it out now. We'll give you the links when we come back right here on Say That. Isaac and Megan Wardell, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, we hope you enjoyed that. We will link to Borders Gate in the episode description, but the, the new Project Neighbors is available on Spotify and all the normal places you get music. We are going to move on to our third question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, So the Bible is clear that we shouldn't judge other people, but does that mean, like, at all? Like, can I have an opinion on who should have a job, like, say, president? Or is that passing judgment? And uh, Jed, I have a feeling, I know from the circumstances of which this uh, question was born, but I think it, it is a good one. There is uh, the, the blanket, you shouldn't judge people, gets used a lot as a defense and sometimes maybe not in the way that's actually meant, right? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm sorry that you had a terrible time with your uncle at Thanksgiving. Uh, that sucks. Right. So... That said, just because this my doctor didn't go to med school, you tell me he can't operate on me. Pretty judgmental. <laughs> so let's do some left and right limits and kind of some some quick definitions. So judgment is about the person, and and in many ways, most importantly, it is about it is about their moral character and ultimately about their standing. So, for example. The, the thing that would definitely, from a Christian standpoint, be fully judging would be to declare, I know a per- another person's eternal destiny. That, that would definitely for sure be uh, rendering a judgment that is not yours to make that for sure God does not want you to do. Okay. On the far, far opposite end is the idea of discernment, which Christians are commanded to have. It actually comes up quite a little bit. And broadly, discernment has to do with figuring out if situations are good or not. Uh, discernment generally has more to do with situations, whereas judgment has more to do with people. Okay, so we have this interesting thing where we are commanded not to judge. And again, the, the ultimate distillation of that would be deciding we know another person's eternal destiny. That would be the far extreme on one end. And then on the other end, we are commanded to exercise discernment, which is having an idea of, are, is situation XYZ a good idea or a bad idea, right? And, and these are kind of the, the biblical left and right limits. Now, what you might find is there's a lot of room in between those two things, like a lot. So we got one thing that we're commanded not to do, and another that we are to do that kind of are on a continuum, um, at least, in, you know, that'd be one way to think about it, with a huge amount of space in between. And so it's a really actually great question to ask, how do we navigate all of that space in between? How do we, how do we figure all that out? Okay, so here's one way to look at it. There, there are folks whose reading of the command not to judge, and actually of 1 Corinthians 13 as well, is to say that I have a religious obligation as a Christian to, some would say to give positive intent to other people, to to assume that they mean well with their actions. Um, Another way to say that is to give people the benefit of the doubt, um, that I have a a religious obligation to give other people the the benefit of the doubt. Um, Yet another would be whatever the best possible narrative is for what they're on and how they came to be that way, I have a, a, a Christian obligation to view it in that lens. I'm not sure that's the only way to read both Jesus' command not to judge or uh, what Paul discusses about the nature of godly love in 1 Corinthians 13, but there are people who view it that way, uh, there, and, and there are certainly people I respect deeply who that, that would be their view. So let's take that for a second. Let's say that we're going to say that I have a, a, uh, an obligation as a Christian to give people maximum benefit of the doubt, maximum positive intent, you know, maximum positive narrative. Um, there are situations where we can do that and we can still say, oh, whoa, no, this is a bad idea. This, this is super duper, not a good idea. So if you have a five-year-old nephew, Timmy, and he wants a motorcycle and he promises and he swears to you, no, I'll I'll be good and I'll be responsible with it. And, and I, and, but you should totally get me a motorcycle. We can have the best possible view of Tim. We can, we can think the world of him. We can assume the best of intent on him, maximum event of the doubt. We can still say discernment says a five-year-old should not have a motorcycle. 
this is this is actually not hard to figure out. We can we can all look at that situation and know easily this would be a bad idea. It's not a knock on Timmy. Uh, we think the world of him. Uh, we actually think he's he's a wonderful uh, uh, young man, but he cannot, as a five year old child, have a motorcycle. Come on, so, Jed, he's so light. Think of how fast he go. <laughs> well, see, that's part of the problem. So that's it's kind of a silly example, but it it serves to illustrate the point that. We can think of ways where it would be easy to to discern without crossing into judgment. All right. Let's let's now look more generally, if we can, at situations where it it wants to to get murkier. Let's ask some diagnostic questions. You use the example of can I have an opinion on who should be president? Um, it's it's a timely question. Um so let's let's look at it for a second. I sense that you have people coming to you and saying, if you think that this that person X is not fit for this job, um, then you are you are judging that person. Okay, that um, let's say for a second that that's possible. Uh, that that that's what this is is that you are impugning this this person's moral character and and maybe even leaning in, so far as to say that this is a bad person and the kind of person that God would reject. Let's let's say that for a second. Let's you know just consider that. The other possibility is that you're looking at a broader context that may have nothing to do with the fundamental moral character of this person, and saying, given this broader context, this person is not a good fit for this job role. That also almost has to be true just on uh, the basic logic of it, that, that you could, without impugning the person's character, you could look at a broader context and you could say, this is not a good idea. If we can do that with Timmy with the motorcycle, we can certainly do that with whether or not person X should have any job, including the, the role of, of the presidency. With that in mind, I think it's worth asking a couple things. The first is when people uh, say, aren't you judging, are they asking that question in good faith? One of the things that Christians are not good at picking up on is when people are um, making an accusation rather than asking a question. Um, if you say that uh, I, 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 I think thing X and someone's immediate retort is, aren't you judging? Most of the time they're accusing you of judging. They're not asking, uh, does this qualify as being judgmental under the, the Christian definition? They're just accusing you of being judgmental. That's a different thing because that's not really a discussion anymore. That's just a person leveling accusations. The second thing about are they operating in good faith is are they open to the idea that you might be right about this? Uh, If they're accusing you of something, they're probably doing that because their mind is already made up on the subject. That's And they are probably trying to drag you to their position and shame you into holding it. None of which is good. All All of which is bad. So... We have these left and right limits. There is actually a huge, huge gray area in between. Uh, Bottom line answer is yes, of course, you can uh, think that a situation, including a person holding a specific job, is a bad idea without in any way judging, in a Christian sense, that other person. But we really need to be on the lookout for when people are not having a good faith discussion with us and, in fact, are simply leveling accusations because they don't like what we think. I think that really is a very, very important point to make all this in a great place to start this off. So, Glenn, let, let's pick it up there. We, we talk a lot on the show over the years about judgment and discernment. Mm. I think this is certainly one of those, as, as Jed is saying, part of, I think, what he's character, rightly characterizing as a bad faith argument is someone trying to um, characterize your asserting discernment as you are being judgy. Right. And kind of putting a Christian language on that, try to get you to stop it. Yeah. Which is not considering what you're saying. So what what are the differences between those and how does it apply to examples like the one we've been given? Well, first and foremost, I, I think it is important to recognize that we use the word judgment to refer to discernment in English a lot. Yeah, you know, your, your mom would say, use good judgment. Yeah. She means be discerning. That's what, you know, so English is a very imprecise language. Nobody's to blame for that. We're, you know, we're the... I think the English are. Well, okay. <laughs> that, yeah, let's, let's, let's blame them. Uh, but, but apart from that, you know, th- there's a, a sense that we use those interchangeably. And uh, sometimes uh, people who are jerks try and hide behind those things. Yes. 
Right? What so do you mean by that? It, exactly right. So it's important to bring that out and to say judgment and discernment are two different ideas. Uh, they We can use judgment to refer to both of those ideas, but I am separating those two ideas out. Uh, it's important for you to separate those two ideas out, both for clear communication, but also because those are two different words in the Bible. Uh, the Bible will, when the Bible refers to discernment, it's talking about a different word. So it's judgment is crine, discernment is diacrine. What judgment means, uh, you know, crine means rendering a, a, a verdict. And that means the uh, consideration is over. We're not trying to seek understanding. We're not trying to whatever a verdict has been lowered. The Bible says that's bad. It's bad to just condemn and reject and say the final verdict is in on this person, and then that's it. Diacrine is the same thing of judging in that sense, but dia means through. So it means going all through the little details. It means it means maximizing understanding. It's it's seeing it from every possible angle, understanding it in all of its nuance. If you have that discernment, you will be able to determine what's right and what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what's healthy, what's unhealthy. And you are meant to do that. This is you can see how this whole idea connects with the idea of wisdom. You're trying to become more wise. It does not make you a good Christian to have no idea what right and wrong is. That's that doesn't sound right when I say it out loud. So we have to be able to determine what right is from wrong. Uh, so then, moving forward, uh, we have to figure out what we do with this knowledge, and that's where everything goes wrong, in my mind. Okay, so in other words, I can go on Facebook, and here's a Christian saying something about politics that is wrong. Now, when I say wrong, I mean, it. it I can look at it and say, this is factually incorrect. I can say it's theologically unsound, I can look at it and say it is emotionally abusive and, and mean-spirited and ugly. I can look at it and say this is um, completely not in keeping with the heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I can look at all of that and slice it, and I can determine that easily, quickly, on his face. It does not require deep, deep discernment to work that out. These things are obvious. Okay, so that's fine. I can determine that. Now, I could judge this person and reject them and condemn them and say, you are a jerk-faced person. And that's what the internet is. It's just different yes. people screeching at each other that disagree. And then going to other places on the internet with other people who agree with them and reinforcing their own crazy You'll never beliefs. believe what this jerk-face said. Exactly. So it's that's all that's happening here. But as Christians, our entire mission is to go to people who don't believe what we believe and convince them to believe what we believe. If you, let's say you said, I'm going to start a thing called a culture war, mm. but you are making an enemy out of the person that you're trying to convince to believe what you believe, that doesn't seem like a good way to get that to happen, right? So... Uh, the you know Jed and I were talking about this the other day, but the entire currency of the world around us is: can you take someone who doesn't believe in what you believe in, doesn't see the world the way you see it, and convince them and change their mind? There's very little attempt to that. In fact, I think there's very little belief that you can do that in the world. Uh, most uh, political editorials I read say this. This thing has happened, and it won't change anyone's mind. And that may be true, but it's also well. Why isn't anyone working on that? That's isn't that isn't that the whole thing we're trying to do here? If you are into in, environmental stuff, you're that's your main thing. The whole game here is to get people to be more environmentally conscious and make smarter decisions, so we can breathe clean air and have a nice planet to live on. If you if you do something that turns people off or or, or or if you're doing that in a mean spirited way, you're not going to 
convince anyone to your argument. If you're opposing this environmentalist in a mean-spirited way, same thing. You're not going to take this person who says, I want clean air, and this person is being mean to me, so I see their point, and now I don't want to breathe clean air and be more like this person who's being mean to me. That's, you're not going to win anybody over. Uh, there's a lot of people just judging the other side and condemning the other side and saying they are lost and beyond hope. That is in itself, regardless of how much they appear to deserve it, in and of itself, that's offensive to the heart of Christ. We're always meant to believe there's always a way, some kind of way, to begin to be a witness to other people, to begin uh, to, to point them to their better selves, and that's the mission that we're on. It absolutely is. That's all very, very good stuff. We do want to be clear that um, that we're talking about judgment versus discerning. The Bible is clear that there are things that disqualify you for certain roles and ideas. You know, mm-hmm. the, in the New Testament, when Paul talks about roles for elders and roles for people who should be leaders, it's is a moral inventory. It is. Yeah. It is things that are. And but the lack of judgment is in that thing. He says you have to be a husband of one wife, and he had to have control of your children, and he shouldn't be a new believer. He's not saying because people who do that are bad and we cast them out and they're evil, but there's a job to be done here that you're either up to or you're not. And there's nowhere in the Bible where it talks about judgment is it talking about looking at whether or not people are up to a role that you have an influence in. If you are a person who is a voting age in a country where you can vote, you actually do get a say in whether or not this person should be president or whether or not you should hire someone to do, you know, a job for you if that if that's if they give you a bad feeling or all that. This idea that you, as it goes back to where Jed started, that you have to give everyone the ultimate benefit of the doubt at all times because that's what Christianity is. That's that's not what we're talking about here. Is these guys are both mentioning a big part of withholding judgment is leaving room for the Lord to work in people's lives, but that's very different than offering them a an unearned position of trust or favor today, you know, in a very small interpersonal way. We all, we often talk in the show about how uh, things like forgiveness are given freely, but things like trust still have to be earned. That's kind of the same dynamic we're looking at here. When we talk about judgment is that thing that it's something we're called not to do because it hardens our heart towards people, but we're also never called to just turn our brains off and just believe that the best will work out because that is a nice thing to believe. All right. If you have a question for us, say at podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're going to take out a song this week. We're going to make up for the absence of Lee Younger in this episode. with take out his version of, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this one. We love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say that podcast, reminding you we're here for you when Christian culture soils itself. <laughs> wow. Deep, deep love of Jesus, vast unmeasured.